Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Timmy Gibson Show. I'm really excited about talking to uh, Drew. Drew, how do you say your last name? Bakius. I mean, really, however you say it. Though, it's I'm fine. like, is it Beckus, Bikius, Bakius? It's spelled B E K I U S. I know that because I'm yeah. reading your book. It's, it's not exactly the most phonetic name in all of eternity. So, right. Yeah, and I'm, I'm hooked on phonetics. I'm hooked on phonics. <laughs> I, I was raised in an era of just everything was sounded out. In fact, when I was a pastor, you'll find this funny. So when I was pastoring a church, I always started the service uh, with like a top 10 list, like funny, like Dave Letterman. I love David Letterman. So <laughs> I kind of did my church like that. We would start out and I'd do yeah. a top 10 list yeah, yeah. or nice. a joke or something. Anyway, I started, someone gave me a joke. And when I glanced at it, I thought, oh, that seems funny. And so I didn't really read the joke. I just glanced at it. And so when I got up on the pulpit, I said, um, I was talking about a dash it hound. And after I did the whole joke and didn't get the response that I thought my, <laughs> my worship leader that was up on the keys, you know, playing behind me, like we did. And yeah. he leans in the microphone. And he goes, uh, pastor Timmy, I think you mean Dotson. <laughs> <laughs> and i was That's like fantastic. yeah i'm hooked on phonics and this sounded it out as i was live reading it anyway so uh, i'm just now realizing that that's how you pronounce it. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, be careful. Every time I see it now, that's what I say in my head. Yeah, but yeah. then I'm like, wait, no, that's not it. Well, listen, <laughs> I'm fantastic. I'm getting into your book, The Rise and Fall of Faith, uh, A God to the Godless Story of for Christians and Atheists. I'll tell you, there's so many things I can't. I'm so excited about this conversation, uh, Drew. I'm My journey began about, well, my journey actually began 54 years ago, technically. Uh, but for me, about five years ago is when I really turned the corner and, and no longer considered myself a Christian. And, and honestly, probably within the last just year to two years that I even now would say I'm a I call myself like a spiritual agnostic. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. but you know what I love about yeah, yeah. this book so far? And, and I can't wait to get into this. But one of the things I'm loving about this book so far is your kind of your reverence about your life before and 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 your kind mm. of reverence for those that are christian those that hold the faith the one the one thing that keeps me from going atheist i mean there's many mm. things but one of the big things that keeps me from labeling myself as an atheist is i just run into a lot of really angry <laughs> atheists that are just bitter <laughs> you know bitter just at the, the church atheists yeah right? you yeah. know always they're posting memes about yes. yeah they're just dicks they're just assholes <laughs> and i'm like you know i don't associate myself with being a dick i've always been a like a sweet person i've always been very kind oh, um yeah that you know i was just i was raised that way right i was just raised to be a right. sweet kind person and so i just don't resonate with that that way um mm -hmm. but clearly you know my journey led me away from from faith and much like when i'm reading your story i'm like oh my gosh we have we have so many similarities so uh i guess first get, give us a little just a your little short bio kind of a ten thousand foot view of of drew's life and then uh we'll get into talking about the specifics of your journey 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and Timmy, just uh, first off, thank you so much for having me on. Super. I'm excited as well. I've been listening to some of your show here, some of your episodes and just really, really, a lot of really good stuff. And, uh, and, and always exciting to see your friends be interviewed on other shows as well. Yeah. And so, no, just, just really good stuff here. So thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, in terms of my story, so my story really starts off with an overly eager, very serious, way too serious high school student, way too serious teenager. Um, had to make up for it later on in life. Had to make Okay. And that to me is what we call foreshadowing. Right. right. So, um, but, but no, so started, started this uh, ministry, what would become an award-winning Christian ministry at the age of 16. Uh, and from there, my entire life revolved around Jesus and around doing his work and embodying Jesus in the world around me. And so if you're familiar with Billy Graham by oh, chance, yeah. when the <laughs> Billy Graham crusade comes to the Minneapolis Metrodome in the late nineties, I'm, you know, as a teenager, I'm, st- I'm down on the turf, you know, praying with folks and helping yeah. staff the event. Right. And, and, uh, um, started preaching at the age of 17 as well, Sunday mornings in front of the entire church with the whole church. So very serious. It was my everything from the beginning. I was just absolutely consumed by uh, this individual named Jesus. Uh, and so from there, it only made sense then, uh, right after high school in the late 90s, pack up everything I own, move to the great city of Chicago, uh, pick up a couple theology degrees, pastor a couple churches. Uh, along the way, through the, co- through the course of that first church that I was on staff at for seven years, over that course, that's where... I shifted, I was going to say slowly shifted, but I, I suppose at, at a seven-year clip, maybe, it, maybe it's a bit of a quick pace, I suppose, in the grand scheme of things, but shifted from more of a fundamentalist faith over to something a bit more progressive. So still, still solidly evangelical, and we can unpack this if you'd like, yeah. still solidly evangelical, but, but in terms of how we applied it to life, about as progressive, about as far left as you can as you can go, as you can safely um, do in the evangelical yeah. circles. <laughs> well, but I mean, but it's it's what I truly believe, right? Sure. So theologically, quite conservative, but yet socially, politically, and economically, about as far left as you can go, and how we applied it to all those things, sure. and always super transparent. What you see is what you get. I phase where I'm pretending I believed one thing or, or, or whatnot when, uh, when I really did it. Um, but so then I enter into that second ministry, that second church, this time as lead pastor. And, uh, and yeah, so then, you know, we're doing, trying to do this just progressive, very real, just trying to change actual lives, partnering with other individuals and orgs in the community to really just transform folks uh, and the world around us. And uh, it was about halfway through that uh, four-year stint where, well, everything started falling apart, at least internally. And um, as I'm just trying to make sense of the world around me and just digging deeper, ministry is successful, it's growing, it's going well, and I'm just digging deeper, deeper. and, and just, you know, we, we can unpack this as well, if you'd like, but just realizing, you know, it's not lining up, but I loved my faith. I yeah. loved, 
I always had the privilege of participating in, growing up in, being in fair theology, notwithstanding fairly healthy churches in yeah. terms of just community social dynamic. And so I loved all, but now I'm losing it and I didn't want to. And so I'm, I spend this two years just battling to try and hold on to my faith. But ultimately, I just I just couldn't couldn't hold on to it, and so I leave the ministry because I'm a closeted atheist. But at effort to try and rekindle my faith, yeah. maybe just maybe if I don't have an entire congregation spiritual needs to care for, and I can just focus on my own, maybe that's the secret ticket to you know rebelieving in God and firming this up. Um, but sure enough, within within just a handful of months, I finally came to grips with the fact that yes, in fact, I had become an atheist or a non-theist. Um, and then from there, so that was over a decade ago. And uh, so now this last decade has really been focused on two things. It's been focused on completely rebuilding my life while also helping others figure out how to rebuild theirs as we work together to try and just build better lives and also then collectively build a better humanity. Um, so doing a lot of work in, in you know, to, to that effect and whatnot. But so that's that's just a giant uh, uh, survey of the yeah. last 10 years, but really just focusing on that rebuild. Well, that's awesome. Hey, Drew, real quick, are, would yeah. it be better to be recording through like FaceTime where we're doing the internet? And the reason I'm saying that is yeah. I, I did catch everything you said, but you're you're it's chopping out sometimes. Oh, is it? Yeah. It's cutting, okay. out. it's cutting out. I mean, thankfully I'm getting 98% of it, but then. Well, okay. So, well, it might be. So what I've been, my understanding, what I've been told in the past is that rather than AirPods, you want to use corded uh, air, well, air, corded AirPods. Right, I right, guess. right, right. So I've got, I've got my old corded AirPods. So I'm plugged into my phone, but I don't use anything fancy. It's just AirPods. So yeah. I can, we can go a couple different routes. One, I can try, um, you know, I can, I can try with actual AirPods, which are, are a little newer and might be better in that regard. Um, otherwise if, if we think maybe it's the, I mean, normally I seem to have pretty great cell service. I'm just yeah. on my cell phone right now. Well, well that's um, the thing. But if we want to try going off Wi-Fi, we can, it's up to you. Yeah. I mean, All right, we got all of our technical difficulties figured out. Drew is like me. He's a p pacer and a walker when he talks. <laughs> well, so thank you for that 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 broad stroke of your story. You know, I find your story so just parallel to to mine. You know, I was a sold out fanatical Christian. Yeah. Uh, you know, raised in the Assemblies of God, um, got amongst the Pentecostals, and then even the Word of Faith and and like mm. you, the beginning of my journey, um, actually a good friend of mine, he, he still pastors to this day. His name's Adam Hamilton. He pastors the largest oh, yeah. Methodist church in Kansas City. He's a childhood friend of mine. And oh, wow. he he helped me with the initial kind of leaving the world of evangelical uh, or at least conservative evangelicalism and, and became, you know, I became mm. a little bit more liberal and, you know, yes. oh, okay, maybe Noah didn't actually build an ark or maybe Jonah didn't actually live in the belly of a big fish for three days, you know, like maybe these are allegorical. And so I, right, you know, right. I started shifting. That was the first part of my journey. 
Hmm. and then later, uh, you know, it, it sounds similar to, to your journey. I'm curious, was there any one or two things that you just absolutely couldn't reconcile that kind of tipped you over? Like, did you just wake up one day and go, fuck this bullshit? <laughs> or was it just like ever so slightly, you just kept running up against things that seemed counter to everything in the world that you were seeing around you? Yeah, you know, that that's a great question. So there was not any moment where it was quite as... Um, uh, what might be the word hardened or just completely fuck this. There was no fuck this bullshit moment. Like you said, I didn't have that. What I did have was, well, I did have moments. Fuck this. Fuck you. God. Right. I did have that. I had a lot of that, but it was not, it was not fuck this bullshit. I'm out of here. This is so fucked up. I'm leaving. No, it was, fuck this and fuck you, God, speaking to his silence. Yeah. And I'm here begging and pleading to you. I'm here doing everything, giving you everything, willing to keep giving you everything, wanting to keep giving you everything, and yet you're stonewalling me, yet you're playing with me. I saw myself as, if by chance you're familiar with uh, Jonathan Edwards and yeah. uh, this whole idea of, you know, sinners of an angry God and uh, God has sinners as a spider or no, as a, what was it? Yeah. As a, as a spider on a web hanging down from his finger, holding the spider by a thread of its web and holding it closer and closer to the fire and laughing as it's tortured and burned. And I'm like, here I am, God, I'm trying to do everything. And you're just, you're taunting me. You're yeah. just dangling me over a fire. And I don't know what to do. Fuck you. And I felt the freedom and the comfortability to put it. Because those are the words yeah. that not only I would have used, but I did use. Um, first of all, I was I was very comfortable. Swear, one of my favorite things to preach about. <laughs> one of my favorite things to preach about was um, the nonsensical, um, kind of just completely. Uh, 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 searching for a word that's not coming, but just, just completely nonsensical, uh, selection of what's a curse word and what's not, what's a swear word. What's not one of my favorite <laughs> things to do was to, was to preach through the Bible on what are all, what are different passages in the Bible where it uses what were considered curse words in the day of their, of their use. And, um, and so anyway, so yeah, so I'm, my, my, uh, office manager, she uh, affectionately referred to me as the pastor whose favorite word was fuck. Um, so yeah, so, so that, terminology, that terminology was not something I had a problem with. Well, uh, and, then, and then you have the lamentations, right? In the Psalms, you have yeah. the lamentations where they're openly cursed, like crying out to God and saying, God, why are you doing this to me? Like, what is your problem, God? Like, what is your deal? Why are you taunting me? This, so this is in the, the Hebrew scriptures, the Christian scriptures. Yeah. So this idea of, yes, yeah, shaking your fist at God and being why God, why? And so that was already part of what I viewed as honestly a healthy Christian dynamic. Um, and so I'm just being real with God. God, I'm begging and pleading. Why aren't you answering? God, fuck you. This is bullshit. 
but it's the kind of bullshit that's begging to plead more, help me save my faith. That's the, so that's maybe the difference there. But in terms of was there anything particular, kind of the one of the big things that really started shifting things for me is, so I was preaching through Ephesians, um, the New Testament book of Ephesians there, this letter that believed to have been by the uh, Apostle Paul written to the people of the church of uh, uh, what, Ephesus. Ephesus yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I barely read the Bible in a decade. I set it down <laughs> and never walked back. So sometimes, sometimes I'm amazed at how quickly it comes back to me, but, um, but yeah, Ephesus. And, um, and so, and I was the kind of pastor, the kind of preacher where we preach through the whole Bible. There's oh, cool. no, there, More textual. there is no passage. There is no passage. There is no verse that I was not comfortable with. So part of, if part of the question might be, or another question might be, well, were there any, were there any Bible verses or any passages that were just so troubling to you? You couldn't reconcile it. The, the answer is no, there was nothing, at least not initially. I was comfortable with all of it. I found my way. I was very comfortable in spinning the Bible to have fresh answers. So yeah. if we, if we consider, if we define, uh, uh, evangelicalism as you know the litmus test of evangelicalism being that whatever the hell the bible is trying to tell us it's true it's it's inspired by god it's without error and it's authoritative whatever the hell it is it's true that that i believe i consider that to be the litmus test of evangelicalism and so in that sense i was 100% evangelical right however within that framework you really, as long as you believe the Bible's from God and without error, you can spin it however you want to. And so I was very comfortable spinning everything through an incredible left-leaning lens. So if something, if, if a meaning, if a definition sat funny to me, didn't sit well with me, well, we just, we'd, well, what if we look at it through this angle? Right. What if we look at it through this angle? What if we look <laughs> How at can I make this way? fit my narrative? Well, but even that, though, that's not how it is because, because the Spirit of God is indwelling me, right? Mm -hmm. The Spirit of God, I believed, as, a, as an evangelical, the Spirit of God is indwelling me. And the Spirit of God in the book of Ephesians, among other places, has promised, promised that all Christians, by the work of the Holy Spirit within them, will come to find and discover truth. And so I was constantly, I was also one of these guys who was constantly in prayer. I was always in a spirit of prayer. I yeah. found this over the years. I found a way to take every, every thought, every passing thought, every meditative thought, like wandering thought, and turn all of it into a line of prayer. God, what do you think about this? God, what do you think about that? Yeah. And so I bring all this back to this whole idea of spinning. Lord, this doesn't sit well with me. God, I don't know that this could be the the truth here help me find what does this really mean what does what is this really trying to say us what's something that's truly in line seems to be in line with your character and uh and so yeah so just continually spinning but not nefariously nefariously not not me trying to come up with some new way it's just me saying depending on the holy spirit within me help me find the truth here because i don't know that others are seeing it and so I felt very free to read the scriptures and then read, do all my commentary research, study the, you know, the ancient context of it, and then come up and craft whole new solutions that at least made sense to me, yeah. maybe not anybody else, but they made sense to me and the Holy Spirit's leading me. So why not? Um, 
so there wasn't so yeah so i was comfortable with all of it yeah one way or another isn't um, that fascinating but, yeah yeah no <laughs> i mean it, to me that's just that's just what made sense yeah and um and so then but then we come back to then as things are starting to fall apart one of the one of the things is as i'm preaching through the book of ephesians uh, and I forget now exactly, I think is Ephesians, maybe two, three, and four, something like that, those middle chapters, where there's just, there's this long list or series of teachings about the pro God's promises that he, or maybe I'll say the things that God is promising to achieve in the church through his Holy Spirit through them being one body. And it's things like, again, a decade later, but, um, but I do walk through some of them in, in the book in rise and fall yeah. is, um, I, I have a good portion of a whole chapter actually dedicated to this because this was kind of huge for my thinking is there's this whole stream of promises where God says, I promise that I promise, I promise that because the Holy spirit is within you and because you are all bound together in one spiritual body, you will all be led to the truth. You will all be led in unity. Over time, you will grow less and less disunified, less and less disparate from all over the world and all over different, uh, different life experiences. And you will be brought together and you will be made whole into one body that is, and then, you know, that is loving and caring and empathetic to one another, you will become this great and glorious community that will then prove to the world that this is real. And I'm looking at it and I'm like this, and now I'm coming, I had read it before I was comfortable with it, but now as I'm digging deeper, I'm like, holy shit, there is so much here in terms of just seem to be just rock solid guaranteed promises. And the opposite is happening over the centuries. Yeah. Not this. And so that became then that was one of the things that really just started kind of crumbling. I just don't see this in the world around me. I don't see how we can reconcile this. And not even, you know, Drew, that's fascinating because that was much like my story is, you know, I spent 30 years as an evangelical pastor and I'm pastoring a church of, you know, 300 people. I started this church in my living room, grew it to 300 mm -hmm. people. And wow. in the church, I'm seeing the same shit that, and, and honestly, people's, the Christians that, that I was seeing, their lives are worse than other people's <laughs> lives, you know, and here they are, the yeah. blessing, the blessing of the Lord maketh rich and all these different things that we were teaching and all that. And I'm like, man, these people are more fucked up than, than anybody outside of the church. Yeah. Like what is yeah. going on? And this became more real to me. Honestly, as I as I walked away and I start meeting people who who don't have any kind of faith and they have happy marriages, their kids are doing good, they're healthy. And, and of course, they have the same life experiences that everybody does. But it was just there was like no difference. In other words, it wasn't like you could look at an evangelical church and go, wow, like like hardly anybody gets divorced. No one loses their children to some needless disease. Uh, no one winds up in prison or, or addicted or like, clearly there's a difference, right? I heard Neil deGrasse Tyson talk about that. He's like, he goes, just show me any Christian that has, or, you know, a group 
like 9-11, I've used this term, this said so many times, but it's like 9-11, had it killed everybody but Christians, you know, like had all the Christians just called in sick that day, all the children mysteriously (laughs) got out before the, like, then you would be like, you know what, there is some evidence that a Christian life is better, but That is absolutely <laughs> not true. Like absolutely one hundred percent. And when people try to say that that you know, well, my life is more blessed. What I'm like, oh my gosh. But I used to say the same thing. You but know, I used to say the not, same thing. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, like you I, said, the truth that sets you better. Right? No, you not a, in they're fact, more they're more tormented, they're more psychologically <laughs> distraught. They're more just consumed and anxious over every little thing that happens in their lives, trying to decipher what does this mean? What does this mean? They're just, and, and so many just rules and trying to follow all the social construct and read God's magical tea leaves on whether or not I'm in favor or out of it. I mean, it's just, it's so, not only is it not better for most of Christians or whatnot, is it tends on average to, to be worse. Yeah. <laughs> it's well, the opposite. That's yeah. I I don't know about you, but for me having spent most of my life, so I would say 40 what? 48 years as an evangelical Wait, Christian. No. Shut up. Yeah, you I'm are, fi- I'm 54. No. Yeah. No. Thank really? you. I appreciate no, seriously. that. <laughs> seriously. I thought you were like 40ish. Oh, well, so. thank you. Uh, it's, it's the, uh, it's the moisturizer. Um, (laughs) but you know, honestly, like I look at my 48 years and you know, I did have a pretty good life and I, I was enjoying life. So I don't want to act like it wasn't good, but all I'm going to say is it's like when my grandpa who's since passed, but he went and got Mm. some stents put in and he, when he came out, he was like, Oh my gosh, I feel so great. I didn't realize I was not feeling well. And so for me, that's kind of how it was when I left the faith and became an agnostic, I was like, I felt more uh, peace, more joy, more, mm. uh, I love the world more, I love people more, yes, I'm more concerned yes. with living moral. Like, it, yep. it, it literally, everything that I used to teach is 100% not true. You know, it's like, <laughs> like, you know, if you want your life to be better, you know, God has to be at the center. If you want your marriage to be better, God at the center. If you want blessings of the Lord, tithe. If you want this, do this. Yeah. That's just simply not true. Right. And, right. and it took me, you know, 48 years to finally mm. just be honest with myself and say, wait a minute. This is not, I'm not looking at Christians envious of their lives. It's like, it's like something's missing here. Something is just wrong. It's not lining up. Something is disjointed. Mm. Mm. And uh, that's when I started asking all the questions, which, you know, has led me down the same journey that, that you're way ahead of me on, but just led me down, down this different road. And it's just been shocking. It's just been shocking to meet people who aren't people of faith and they're wonderful people. (laughs) You know what I mean? You know, I mean, there's only, you know, when you're an evangelical, you understand this. When you're an evangelical, you know, there's the lost and the saved. There's the heaven bound and the hell bound. There's the the godless and the godly. There, you know, there's the it's binary. Everything is the in and the out, the the good and the bad, and the Christian and the lost. And 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 
and and it's especially when you get into super conservative Christianity specifically, you know, there even the Catholics are lost and everybody everybody's lo- the Presbyterians are for sure lost because you know, this and that, and the Methodist, dear God, they <laughs> did a dud. You know, you just, uh, it's like only us evangelicals have the truth. And you look at that and you just go, well, that's weird. You're the most fucked up group of all. And how, <laughs> how is that? How is that godly at all? Like you're, yeah. I don't understand, you know? And, and of course, nowadays with all of the, the, you know, the Hillsong stuff coming out and all the yeah. f- God bless America. You know, you see all that, and you, you just go, what in the world, man? Or maybe he hasn't. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I still have a lot of the same lingo. I was laughing today when I, I, I after, ladies and gentlemen, everybody needs to know, I contacted Drew an hour before time saying, hey, we're about ready to start. And I was just confused on my time. Didn't drink coffee this morning yet. Anyway, I literally, after our little exchange, I just was like, dear Lord, baby Jesus. (laughs) When you texted me that, because you texted it to me, dear Lord, baby Jesus. I thought that was absolutely hilarious. Yeah. Uh, No, I I loved it. I got got a good kick out of it. I'll be, you know, oftentimes the post-faith crowd will change some of they'll keep the phrases but make changes like instead of saying jesus they'll say jeebus j-e-e-b-u-s <laughs> and some of that stuff i mean i guess it's kind of humorous i don't know i i yeah like i get it but whatever but so but just saying it the way it is dear lord baby jesus like i actually find more enjoyment out of that than than the trading out right. from jesus to jesus but you know <laughs> well i still you know i still have all the the i mean i can get around if I was in a crowd of evangelicals, I mean, I'm sure you can too. I can hear the preacher in you. I mean, I, I can still laugh with the best of them joke and, and still even use all the different lingo and, and, you know, praise the Lord and, you know, all the stuff. (laughs) And of course they, you know, everybody knows where I'm at. Hello. I'm very vocal about it. How, how long have you been out? When did you deconvert? So I, I walked, uh, like quit the church in, uh, 2019. And then I started Mm. just a spiritual community where I taught Buddhist principles, Jesus principles, just, you know, enlightenment and different things. And I didn't go too deep into the like super, super woo woo, which is fine. People can do whatever the hell they want to do. But I, I just, I started teaching more that way and even relocated the, the, the church group. Um, and, but the church went from 300 because I started supporting gay marriage. So that was my first, Uh uh, first thing I started doing as I became more and more progressive, the evangelical crowd kept exiting. And so, yeah, so it went from 300 people down to, I was able to to do church growth in reverse. And I, (laughs) I, I went from zero people to 300 in about two and a half years. And then. Over the course of the next four, you know, whatever, 13, 14 years, I grew it all the way down to about 50 and, and then on down to about 25. And that's when I finally just was like, you know what? I just, just, you pastored that church for what? Uh, So over a decade. Was it oh yeah, two decades, almost 20 years. Yeah. I started it uh in 20 officially. Like I started in the home in 2002 but officially okay. had our first public service in 2003. And then I oh. walked away from that version of the church um, at the 
at the end of 2019. So did you have uh, a share of folks that followed you over to the new spiritual agnostic community? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 I did. I did. I they, would think so. I yeah. would think so. Yeah. yeah, they definitely did. And then, and then I, like I said, then then COVID, you know, it was just hard to gather. And and I started doing yeah. some stuff every Sunday. I'd come online and just talk, um, yeah. and just kind of share different principles. Um, because I don't, you know, as an agnostic, I don't. I'm not anti everything Christian or everything Bible. Yeah. I mean, yes, I don't believe it was written by. God, I believe that just dudes, like yeah. literally dudes with dicks, just wrote it uh, right. based upon their own spiritual thoughts and ideas. I mean, that's clearly what it is. Yeah. And well, I mean, yeah, go ahead. Oh, well, I was just going to So, I mean, you know, being anti something, right? So you have this whole thing of so there's, there's atheists and then there's anti theists. I've never been an anti theist. So oh. I've never had that where some people do describe themselves as an anti theist. I've never had, like you said, I've never had that animosity. I actually primarily these days just refer to myself in, if we're measuring that lens, the if we're measuring the theism component, the theistic component, I'll just use the term typically non-theist. Am I an atheist? Yeah, if you define it, it all depends on how you define it. Yeah, how you know kind what? The, that's that's up for debate. I saw that in your book. Yeah, I've heard so there's many different so ways. So many of, different ways. What is yes. the definition, or what is your definition? Well. I mean, when you say, what is the definition? I mean, it really does depend. So historically, if you look at like those who, if you look at like from an academic level, those who study religions, world religious professors and academics, the word atheism in that sense, historically is used to anyone who's not monotheist. So if you believe in hundreds of gods, you're an atheist. From this oh. level of historical academic concern, it's basically just anything that's not monotheist is atheist. So, but that's that's not the common definition today. But I do like to throw that out there. I don't think that's anyone's real functioning definition today. Right. But I throw that out there because everybody's like the real definition, and those who like to call themselves atheists, which I run in that crowd, and I, like I said, I I do consider myself an atheist. It's not just not my word of choice. Right. But um. But oftentimes they'll be like, listen, this is the real definition. A, whenever you add A to the beginning of a word, it cancels it out. A theist is someone who believes in a God. An atheist is someone who doesn't believe in a God. And so, and so, but we'll oftentimes we atheists will kind of set that up as obviously this is the only real definition. When really throughout history, that's just not true. Right. Um, but I do like the simplicity of it. I think that's the most simplistic definition of, of an atheist. Um, and so in that sense, I'll use it. So I do not have a belief either way. How I define it, my atheism is, oh, bless you. Bless you, brother. Thank you. I tried to See mute now. myself even. <laughs> <laughs> so now here's my thing. I'll still say bless you because throughout the Bible, and this is how I taught it as, as, as a Christian minister, so anyone can bless another. To bless someone simply means to to wish favor upon them. So in the in the Hebrew and Christian Bibles, sometimes God is blessing people. Sometimes other humans are blessing one another. Sometimes the world is blessing you. And so I freely use the word blessing. Yes, yeah, me bless too. You when you sneeze, it has nothing to do with God whatsoever. Right. I but I wish favor upon you. Hope you're 
shit's holding together. See, that but, makes um, me like you even more. It's it's like it's. I like that you still. I just like that. I because I still say when people say, uh, you know, man, that's really cool, and I say, yeah, I'm I'm yeah. I'm very fortunate. I'm very blessed. Well, obviously, as an agnostic, I don't believe I'm blessed by God. I just it, like yeah. yeah, it's a blessing. I'm I'm live yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But um, I primarily consider, I usually really, if I'm going to use a label, I, I mean, in a way, at least to an extent, I really don't care whether you believe in gods or not. So yeah. I, though, if somebody's asking the specific question, do you believe in a God? I'll, yeah, I'm a non-theist. That said, really philosophically, how I view reality and purpose and meaning and all of these things i i use the word humanist um and so just because that speaks of so much more and though the majority of humanists consider themselves non-theists to some degree or another there are some theistic humanists um so but that just speaks so much more i think it it speaks to my values it speaks to the fact that i'm progressive it speaks to the fact that I'm wanting to build a better world. And well, so I talk a lot about humanism these days. We yeah. don't need to talk about it right now, sure. though, but whatever you want to talk about. Yeah, I, I definitely, cause I get asked a lot just to, you know, my journey has been so profound and, and public and I was so, such a committed, you know, especially I'm still in the same city that I was in when I was pastoring and I was a, a well-known pastor here in Kansas city. I mean, I was in the news every, well, every month at least I was in the news mm. and our church mm. was just, you wow. know, we were really heavily involved. We did a lot of stuff and, and just, we made the news a lot, just a lot of things yeah, going yeah, on. Yeah. And so my journey has been very public. So people, you know, just ask me all the time. And, and I've said before that I'm an agnostic, I'm a spiritual agnostic, meaning, you know, I don't know, you know, is there a God? I'm like, I don't fucking know. Yeah. And guess what? You don't yep. know either. Yep. Now I know you believe yeah. in it, but you don't know. But then I say this, I say, well, I said, I definitely don't believe in the Bible God though. Like I know that yeah. one doesn't exist. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like in the way that I used to teach, like, no, absolutely not. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's just a million reasons why that's, that's not true. But the, the f funny thing, I do often quote the scripture that the truth will set you free because I oh, wow. absolutely believe that's what happened to me. I, I, because I mm. do feel more free. I feel I'm happier. Like everything about, it's just, I just can't even tell you how, 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 how much liberty has come to my life as, as I have been more honest with my, you know, my initial doubts and, and my perspectives. And then when I finally just accepted it, I often tell people it's like my gay friends when they were you know raised in, in church circles and they had to hide who they really were and they were trying to live mm -hmm. heterosexual, but the whole time they yeah. were homosexual. I said, you know, I'm, I'm heterosexual, but I said, I, I can relate to that feeling of mm. when I finally came out and just said, this is what I really think. It was like, oh. it was like coming out of the closet. I just feel so free. And so like, Oh my gosh, now I don't have to hide. I can just be yeah. honest. I can just be real. And man, that's been healing to my soul. Well, that same analogy of coming out of the closet is also used, has been used for several decades now to refer to coming out as an atheist. Um, so, it, you know, it's, I think the majority of the time it's used to talk about, you know, within the context of LGBTQ+. Um, but, but it's also used, to, I think, 
you know, in a sense, anything where you feel like you can't be your true self and now feeling the freedom to come out and, and be that and just be who you are. Yeah. Um, and I've also heard from some, I mean, now this is by no means everybody and I can't, I can't, I'm not of the LGBTQ plus community, so I can't speak for it, but the, of their two coming outs, coming out as gay and then also coming out as an atheist, that it was actually the atheism that was harder. And I think maybe, and, and they have likened it to saying that they think that it's because society is becoming, we clearly have a long ways to go, especially with all the anti-trans legislation and hate that is just boiling over right now. Sure. It's not a safe time. So we have, um, a, a friend of mine likes to talk about how, um, you know, we're very, we as a culture are pretty uh, pro LGBTQ plus, but we leave out the T. And um, and I think there's a lot of truth in that. And um, but but that said though, for for the LGB of the LGBT, uh, society is generally becoming a lot more accepting of that. Absolutely. But I also think I think we are making some progress in the atheism front too. I mean, we, you know, we are in that as well. And yeah. I think you know, you give it give it some time. And I think you know. 20 years from now, 50 years from now, if the planet's still kicking, <laughs> you know, I think, I think hopefully, hopefully if we don't uh, trip up on too much more handmaid's tale bullshit, uh, I think we'll be in a much better place as a society, as, as, a, as an entire world. So fingers crossed, let's hope. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it is an interesting time just being, having lived both lives. It, and I feel like it's literally a whole nother life that I lived. It's like, I'm, I'm a whole new person and there's a lot that's gone into my life that would also help that be, I have a whole yeah. nother life going through a divorce yeah, yeah. in 2019 and then oh, wow. now getting married this year. Um, and just, you know, my wife's the most wonderful woman in the world. I just didn't know. Wow. Well, congrats. Not, thank you. Congrats. Did not, didn't know, now, you know, marriage could be so wonderful. You do some officiating, right? So did you officiate your own marriage? <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny is I could have because we got married in Arkansas. <laughs> I'm kidding. Actually, I'm not I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. We did get married in Arkansas down in Eureka Springs. And in fact, uh, I did look it up. I could have officiated our own wedding, which I would Wait, have never really? done. Yeah. I was totally joking. I assumed there would be some stipulation that you can't do that. I yeah. I guess I, I never I really could've. thought about it. Huh. Wow. <laughs> I could have, which would have well, just congrats. been weird. Seriously. So, so yeah. how new, what you said this year? So yeah, just month? April. How, how fresh is it? April. April yeah. April 29th. Well, so we're, we're just what a couple months in. Yeah. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, she's so. a she's a real precious person. I, I got divorced in 2019, you know, went to the therapy and the counseling and just, you know, really dug deep. You know, you feel like a failure. And I don't know if you've been through a divorce, but, you yeah, know. Yeah, and, oh, and, absolutely. Yeah. So now, you, was yours connected to your deconversion? You know, no. And, and people okay. think yeah. I'm lying because it, it really wasn't. Um, mm. Because my ex also is not an evangelical Christian anymore either. And, okay, and, and yeah. so we were both, uh, on a, from conservative to very, uh, progressive liberal journey already. Um, so sure. yeah, I would say no, you know, like I said, I I'm sure there's some things that kind of overlap, uh, yeah. but you know, you get married in your young twenties and, 
and then once the kids leave home and then you're like, who are you? And I, we have nothing in common. And, yeah, uh, and you know, yeah. we have, we're on opposite sides of the political, we're on opposite sides on, on everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll tell you offline, but it was like just completely opposite sides of the table there. And I just, I'm assuming no you were, you were the progressive. She was the conservative. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or was it the other way around? Yeah. I don't know. No, yeah. no, uh, no. So, yeah. So it was just a very interesting, uh, journey. And then, you know, once you're divorced and you kind of find yourself, then you really are aware of just how absolutely diametrically opposite you were, mm. uh, then to meet, uh, uh, you know, about three years after my divorce, uh, met just a a gift. Uh, I just can't even tell you. She's the most precious, thoughtful, kind, beautiful human I've ever met. Mm. And uh, yeah, so. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. Man. That's really cool. Yeah. Not everyone finds that. So that's pretty great. Yeah. I got um, very, I got I'm blessed. I got lucky. <laughs> I got well, very yeah, lucky. I mean, so for us, I mean, we, we were my then wife and I, uh, you know, maybe probably more similarities than that, than what you oftentimes hear. So everyone too, like you said, everyone assumes it was from your deconversion or an assumption oftentimes and in an assumption for, I suppose, good reasons to the extent that assumptions can be. Um, the, what you oftentimes hear is you hear stories of when a pastor. So for, for a while, um, I worked with the clergy project, which is, uh, it's an organization that's a nonprofit that provides peer support, community resourcing, and uh, career transition assistance to deconverted religious leaders around the world, 35 plus countries. And um, so, and I found the clergy project two years after, uh, after leaving the ministry and after deconverting, and then quickly got involved, absolutely loved it. It was, it was life-saving to me. It was absolutely game-changing finding that community. And then quickly stepped in to serve as communications director. And then after that, briefly served as, um, as president of the clergy project for a spell. Okay. And, um, and so one thing you find working with hundreds, thousands of religious leaders, of deconverted religious leaders around the world from all different faiths is you you find it's incredibly common especially the more fundamentalist or the more conservative the more right-leaning that the that the religious tradition is is when the religious leader deconverts oftentimes their spouse leaves them yeah because uh they're no they've broken their vows they've broken their vows before god um, our, our, it's kind of, it's kind of weird when you think about it, Very we made weird. our vows before God. And since you no longer believe in God, that is breaking our vows. Right. And therefore we can no, no longer be together. It's like, well, the vow didn't, <laughs> I didn't <laughs> vow to believe in God. The vows were made to God, but, but. And I thought it was through good and through bad, through rich <laughs> and through poor. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. But so that's oftentimes the assumption. Um, but my case was also an exception. Sounds like, like yours, where for us, we actually, we were married, um, 12, 12 and a half years, uh, when we were separated and divorced, uh, six months later. Um, but we, and we had had 12 full years of just health. I mean, it, it seemed, and we, we both have talked about this long afterwards. It was just a fantastic marriage all the way up. But then it's like, it's kind of like, 
we both had a type of deconversion of our own. Hers, she, I mean, she, she always believed in something, but, um, and now I think she, she's back to believing, you know, very conservatively again. But, um, but so, but, so we had both grown in our understanding of reality, but we, but on the other side of that, on the outside of that journey, we just realized, similar to what you said, we just realized we were in very different places and we wanted very different things for the future. So we had, I had, you know, I had never really wanted, I had my goal throughout all of my life up to that point was to simply reflect Jesus, to simply be Jesus. I intentionally avoided making money. I intentionally I took up, in a sense, a vow of poverty, in a sense, and said, I never want to make more money than this threshold, which is, you know, way below what a family of four really needs right. in order to, to, to survive, right? Or at least to do, um, to have any type of quality of living. And, um, and so we then, you know, we were, we're out of the church. I'm no longer in ministry. We're continuing to go down this road. I've now realized that I am an atheist. And I just realized, you know, I just want to, I just want to see the world. I want to do much. I want to accomplish much. I want to, I want to transform as an individual and help others transform. And, but the, but, but that's not, you know, I was literally told, I just really, all I want for the future is um, just, let's just get minimum wage jobs working for the county, for the corner store and just enjoy watching TV together each night. And I'm like, okay, that sounds great once in a while, just sitting at home watching TV, <laughs> but I don't, want, I don't want to build a life on that. Like, so we just, we wanted very, very different things. And so it made sense for us to go in different directions. And, and, and there's a lot of other sure. elements and layers to that that I unpack uh, in the book. But, but really that's what it came down to in my view is we just wanted very different things. And I just felt the need to go and explore and build a whole new life. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's interesting how, how that all goes and the, the ways that life leads. Yeah. You so. know, as, as I was reading your book, one of the things that stood out that I'm, I'm curious what, what your thoughts on it are. Yeah. It, I, I was, as I'm reading your book, I'll be honest, there were, <laughs> I'm reading it going, well, this yeah. guy sounds like as he's writing this, this guy sounds like a sold out radical Christian, right? Like as I'm reading <laughs> it, you know, like. And I'm thinking to myself, because I was asked this, what kind of encounters had you had that made God real to you then? And how do you explain that now? I mean, I like yeah. I, I think I know how you'll say it, but like how do you reconcile that? Because that's a question that someone asked me, and they're like, Didn't you have in you know powerful encounters with God and life-changing mm -hmm. moments and different things? And I thought, wow, I'm gonna ask Drew that. Yeah. Yeah. No, fantastic. So, um, no, great question. So, and, and yes, there, and you've, you've started the book. And so you've seen some of the stories yourself at the beginning of it. Um, but there's just, yeah, I mean, there were these wild, wild experiences where in my mind, um, there, this proved to me that there had to be a God. I mean, one of them being, and I'll, I'll just go through one. I won't go through the series that that's listed there, but one of them being that, you know, for years as an elementary and junior high student, I was, I mean, 
suicidal ideation was my hobby. I mean, I just desperately wanted to die every day for years. Um, and, uh, and then, and would fantasize about different methods and all these different things. Right. And then one day, and, and I felt like I was trying everything. Like I was actively trying to practice good, uh, self health, you know, self-care and things like this. Although I don't think we had nearly as good of a grasp on it culturally back in the, in the early nineties as we do now. Um, but trying to practice good self-care and these things and trying to seek a therapist in, um, in middle school, I had to do it kind of under, under the radar because it wasn't really accepted in our home. And so, and at one point I was caught and I had to stop, but, but I was trying, but I was seeing a school counselor to help battle depression, just things like trying to do it. And, um, and then, uh, there's one day, it was a Saturday afternoon. I'm just up in my bedroom, just sobbing, which I was prone to do for hours on end, hysterically crying and about how much I loathe my existence. And, um, and then I get this idea and I'm like, you know, I don't know that I'd ever really asked God to heal me. And I had prayed the quote unquote sinner's prayer several times, you know, from the age three up and, um, and definitely believed in a God in that sense. But but um, it went to church, went to, you know, uh, church programs, all that stuff. But I'm like, I don't know that I've ever asked him to take care of this specifically. And uh, so I'm like, you know, I've, 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 let's let's ask him. And uh, and so I, I I'm praying. I'm saying, God, I don't know. I said, God, I'll be real with you. Right. Lamentations like I talked yeah. earlier. Right. So um, and uh, and just, you know, being real with the Lord. And I said, God, I'll be honest, after everything I've tried, I don't, I don't know that anything can heal me, including you. But I'm convinced of this. If anything, if there is a possibility, and I'm so skeptical that there even is any possibility of me being healed of my depression, my suicidal ideation. But if there is any hope, clearly it is only you. You are my last chance. Please heal me of this specifically. I already played, prayed the sinner's prayer. I knew I was saved. I know I had no doubts about my eternal salvation, but heal me in this. And I immediately, immediately, I felt, it was like I felt this warming glow inside my heart and just within me. Um, I just felt this, I goose pimples all over my body. I just felt this like, if this like smile just like evolve like ripple across my entire being and just uh, make its way across my face like just smiling I and I immediately felt this confidence that everything was going to be okay and that I was healed yeah and um and for years I actually didn't struggle with any depression or suicidal ideation for years after that um so yeah, and that's just one of a few things where I was convinced this is God. How could it not be? Right. So now looking back on that <laughs> for the last decade, <laughs> um, one thing I'm reminded of is that there are stories just as powerful, just as convincing and just as truly life transforming in 
every, literally every religious tradition has them. Absolutely. You also find stories like this, experiences like this on psilocybin, on mushrooms and different psychedelics. You find you find these kinds of experiences across the board. It's like it's built into our humanity more than it's built into a divinity. Right. Clearly, and it's so, not just connected right. to evangelical. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And so so that's really where I'm at now is I think I think the mind is a powerful thing. And I think the experiences we surround ourselves, I think there's this element of gaining momentum <laughs> uh, with certain ways of, you know, you energy is contagious by energy. I just mean, I'm not speaking of anything metaphysical. I'm just saying by getting out and like exercising and just doing things that becomes contagious. And there's all these studies, right? Where exercise, physical activity, community, relationship, all of these play at least some role. Of course, there's also a oh, chemical component, absolutely. right? And yes. so not a, this is not to say that this is going to magically heal everyone of depression. It's not. But, but for what I had, and in certain circumstances, to some extent, all of these things play a role in, quote unquote, brightening your mood, helping you feel better. It's not the end all be all for, you know, maybe for anybody, certainly not for everyone, but it plays a role. And for me, I think coming away from this experience and these other answers to prayer I received, none of them miraculous, by the way. I, I was not of the name it and claim it variety. I was not of the Pentecostal variety. We did not yeah. believe in signs and wonders. So not, none of it was answers to prayer in a, in a, in a, in a mystical or in a, in a, in a physical, miraculous way. But all in more just like coincidence type things. Right. Which is honestly, this is a pretty cool coincidence, but honestly, it's, it's the realm of coincidence. Yeah. I prayed a prayer, suddenly it felt amazing, some psychological element to it. And then this unleashes a chain of events where now, because I'm feeling great today, now I'm going to go out and live according to it. Right. And so now this is propelling me into greater and greater uh, relationship dynamics, community dynamics. I'm getting out. I didn't continue to lay in bed sobbing that day. I felt great. Now I'm going to go outside. I'm going to get sun sunshine into my skin. I'm, so now I'm already, I'm immediately taking additional practices to reinforce what I'm already convinced of. And so all of these things, basically at the end of the day, it comes down to completely physical, human, natural things that produced effects that I considered answers to prayer. So that's how, so that part of the question where it's, and how do you justify it today as a non-theist? That's how. Yeah. Um, entirely naturalistic. Well, I find the the argument fascinating. I, and I don't debate, you know, Christians, but we'll get in conversations and, and, you know, not debatey, but they can get into, you know, they say something, I say something to counter it. And really for me, I'm not trying to win any disciples. I'm not trying yeah. to win anybody over. I'm not, I don't, I'm not looking for converts here. <laughs> Everybody's on their, yeah, on yeah, their yeah. own journey. I, you know, oftentimes yeah. I'm just yeah. expressing my own, my own journey and just if that resonates with people, great. If not great, you know, if it helps someone with their own struggles, great. But I find that fascinating. I had a friend of mine that he's a good dude and he's just like, I know God exists because, you know, he delivered me from, you know, drugs or whatever. Mm. And I, you know, and I'm like, Hey man, that's awesome. You know, I said, and he's yeah. like, and Jesus is the only one that could do that. I said, well, okay. Like that's actually not true though, because I have a friend who's <laughs> yeah. Buddhist 
And, mm. you know, through Buddhism and all that, he was also delivered from uh, drug addiction. So, and, you know, and he, it stumbled him definitely because it's like, well, in his mind, it's like, well, you know, no, that's, that can't be. And it's like, well, no, but it is. <laughs> yeah. I, I know people yeah. who are Hindu. I know people who are atheist who through <laughs> yeah. just, you know, uh, meditation, like a Sam Harris, you know, meditation or through, like you said, yeah. mindfulness or through mushrooms or psilocybin, <laughs> yeah. uh, or ayahuasca or whatever. Yeah. Weed. Yeah. I'll tell you what, marijuana has been one of the w most wonderful things in my life. Mm, uh, mm. Absolutely love marijuana. Um, yeah. I mean, it keeps my ego in check and man, it's yeah. just, it's been a delightful journey. I, <laughs> yeah. I really do appreciate it. I'm not a big drinker. I mean, I will drink on occasion, but I'm just, I'd rather not. If I, if I was going to give up anything, I could easily give that up. Um, mm. but yeah, I, and I just find that fascinating, but it's like, so there's, there's a few things and I'm curious what your few things were for me. There yeah. was like a few things that were the sticking points that I absolutely, were probably the biggest reasons why I, I was like, nope, there's just no way this is true. Partly was I was reading the book Sapiens. Uh, someone mm. gave me that book Sapiens yes. by Yuval yes. Nova Herrera, whatever his name is. And I'm reading the book and I'm reading about Neanderthals and, you know, human existence dating back some 300,000 years. And I'm like, what? Like, where's that in the Bible? I Like th we have like <laughs> full, complete skeletons. Like this isn't, like, this is a fact. Like, this isn't like, this is no theory. This is a fact. And yeah. it just, you know, it was just, it was staring in the face of my very conservative e evangelical brain that Adam and Eve were the first two humans that God created 6,000 years ago, right after the earth and everything else, the universe was put together. And I'm just yeah. like, you know, I was told in Sunday school that dinosaur bones were put here by the devil, you know, that they're not real. <laughs> so, you know, clearly, yeah, you know, yeah. facts just started flying in the face of these beliefs, these religious beliefs that I had where I could no longer do gymnastic backflips to get out of them. It was just ridiculous. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I became more of a sophisticated Christian and was like, okay, you know, maybe evolution played some kind of role, but God started it all. You know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I just kept going and going, but anyway, so there's that, there's that piece. This, the other piece for me was that us as evangelicals or Bible believing Christians had the truth in literally every other religion around the world that people were devoted to followed, committed to and by the millions and by the billions followed were wrong. Like, how does that, like that just, the, I couldn't reconcile that. And then yeah. thirdly, it's the suffering children thing. I'm thinking, wait a minute, if there's a Bible God, like I was taught and he's benevolent, benevolent, all powerful and uh, heal the fucking children, like, come on. Like that's mm, the one yeah. thing. If I was God right now, that's one thing I'd just fucking fix. Now I wouldn't fix someone if they drove drunk and got in an accident and got their leg cut off. Hey, fuck you. You did like you did that. Like you did that to yourself. Yeah. But yeah. A, a newborn that's starving or being abused, like mm. no, no, nope, 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 nope. I can't believe in yeah. a in a God that it exists that could fix that, but won't. You know, it's kind of like right. Christopher Hitchens. I think it's Christopher Hitchens that talks about you know, if human history started 300,000 years ago, he says, hey, let's just be, let's, let's just say a hundred thousand years ago for 98,000 years, 
this God just stands by with his arms crossed, not giving a shit about all the stuff going on. And then finally, mm. after 98,000 years, he decides to now do something like mm. that just doesn't make any sense. And I remember just really resonating with that thinking, Hmm, that's interesting because much like you in the book, you were talking about how your friend, Mike from, I think Moody Bible Institute was asking yeah, you about, yeah, yeah. you know, was there a, did something happen at church? You know, did you, do you disgruntled? Did you get fired? Or like, there's something <laughs> like, you know, surely, yeah. or you wanted to live a life of sin or like, there's something that you're leaving faith for to pursue and your journey's like mine. It was like, no, like I, in all intents and purposes, I had a wonderful experience as yep, a Christian yep. per se. Uh, there was no big moment. There was nothing that happened, you know, I wasn't abused by a pastor. I wasn't mistreated, excuse me, mistreated by a church. I, it wasn't anything. You know, I didn't have some big death, you know, in, in my life that, you know, it wasn't, I mean, I've had death in my life. Everybody has, but it wasn't like that was the key. It was just, I got to looking at things honestly and saying, okay, let's act as though I know nothing. And I'm mm. now looking at this for the very first time. Yeah, This just makes no sense. Yep. No, I mean, absolutely. So, and, and that's that last part, especially is more what it was for me there. There wasn't any big um, theological thing or uh, biblical thing, biblical passage where it was like, you know, that's it. This is a deal breaker um, because I was able to navigate around flip it sideways, you know, I was able to find a way to restructure it um, that I was comfortable with. So, but then, yeah, for me, it came to a point where as I'm looking around, so first I'm like, okay, well, clearly, because I'm noticing all the, I'm starting to notice all these contradictions within the Bible, like hard data contradictions. So for instance, um, you know, I mean, not things like we'll talk about where you know, oftentimes people will talk about how Paul in Romans, you're saved by faith, but in James, you're saved by works. How can these clearly contradict? And so that was never an issue for me. I'm like, well, sure. no, they're talking about, they're in totally different contexts. They're talking about totally different things. Right. Um, they, they don't, I didn't see those as contradicting at all. Um, what I'm talking about are things on a hard data level where in, um, there's a few places throughout the Hebrew Bible, the Christian Old Testament, there's a few places where the same story is told twice. Yeah. And in the, with those stories, 99% of the details are match exactly. But then you'll have something where in, in one story, it'll say, um, you know, it'll, it'll say, well, there are what I think it's uh, with Solomon, where it's at one particular point in, the, and it names the year, it names the exact point in Solomon's reign, where it does an itemization of uh, a catalog, if you will, of all of his possessions. And it gets to, and, and then in the, in a different book, so it's Kings versus Chronicles. And then in Chronicles, tells the same thing, same setup, same point, same year, same catalog, and all of the items in both lists match perfectly, except in one of them, the horse stalls. Solomon owns 70 horse stalls, 7-0. Seven 
Right. Seems a bit excessive, but 70 horse stalls. In and then when it's retold, he owns 700 horse stalls. <laughs> Way more excessive than 70. 70 is plenty. And so, but you look back now, we don't have the original autographs of any of the Bible books, right? right? Documents. We don't have originals for any of it. All we can do is go back to the earliest that we have. And if you go back all the way to the earliest ones we have, it's 70 and it's 700. At no point do they match up. Right. And so then we have to, and, and there's several situations like this where this happens not just once, not just twice, over and over and over again with these repeated stories. And so I'm looking at it and I'm going, you know, if, because what the Christian response is to simply say, oh, well, you know, as the human scribes were copying it, they messed up. They added a zero by accident. And then they literally changed the English Bible to reflect our assumption that the earliest manuscripts had it wrong. There, but it's really must be this because they have to agree. Right. And so I'm looking at this going, you know, I thought we weren't supposed to change the word of God. So, <laughs> so we're changing it to reflect our own theology. And so I'm looking at this going, okay, but so for all and for, for as best as we can tell, there's a disagreement here. And the fact that it happens over and over again says, you know what, there's disagreements here. So, so all of this builds together with other things for me to become convinced that the Bible is not a credible resource, at least not if we're looking for absolute truth. Right. Um, is it a beautiful human resource that we can learn a lot from just like any other ancient human text? Sure. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Sure. But, but there's not truth in here and it's not credible as, you know, as, as a, a work of perfection. Well, it's definitely um, not divine because God right, wouldn't have allowed that. Right. And, and that also then argues against, you know, one more argument against the existence of a God, because if God writes this as an instrument to communicate with us perfectly, you'd think that he would have preserved it to make sure we got an accurate copy. Absolutely. And if, and if these parts aren't accurate, well, what else got messed up that we haven't caught? Right. Know, like, so I'm just looking at this going like, you know, so then I had to take a step back and I had to say, okay. God beyond this. And what, what quickly became, what I quickly realized is that really the only reason I believed in the existence of any God, much less this particular one, was two reasons. One, I was raised to believe in that God. And two, the Bible says so. So, right. but if the Bible, if the only text giving me any reason outside of it's how I was raised, you know, which everybody's raised, you know, the fact that someone of another religion was raised that way, I didn't see that as a reason for them to keep doing so. So why would mine be, right? So now, okay, so now it's the Bible. Well, so if ultimately the Bible is the only reason I believe in the existence of a God, but now that Bible is no longer credible, is there anything else? And as I looked around at the world around me, there was nothing. Yeah. <laughs> there was nothing. So it's not that there was something that set me off the edge and said, um, that's it, I can't believe in this. It was just, there really is nothing. I want to believe. I'm looking for a reason, but there's just absolutely nothing that would give me any reason whatsoever 
to believe in a God. So, and that's an interesting so I had, thing. I had Drew. to walk away. Yeah, yeah. Drew, I find it fascinating because I've, I've had people that, you know, they're, they're praying for me and, you know, to my parents chagrin, right. I mean, they're still evangelical, uh, people and, you know, they, they struggle with it for quite a while and they've done real well in the sense of, you know, we kind of had a real come to Jesus talk, you know, and I was like, Hey guys, yeah, absolutely. Stop trying to save me or you're just not going to see me anymore. Cause I mean, yeah, th- you know, yeah. this is just tormenting and I, I don't, I'm okay with you guys being Christian. That's fine. Uh, but mm-hmm. that's, you know, I'm living a different journey, you know, and I'm, I'm yeah. assuming they probably believe that scripture that, you know, train up a child in the way that they should go when they're old yeah. they'll return, you know, and yeah, I, yeah. I've, I, 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 all I can say is, well, that, that literally would be impossible. Like I, it's not like I'm lost. It's not like I'm living under a bridge with a meth needle hanging out of my arm. And, and and (laughs) it's like, I'm living my best life ever. Like it's absolutely so happy with my life. And, um, yeah, there's just, there's not, does that make sense? Like, there's just, it's like, I, I, and I don't, some people say, you know, I wish I could believe I don't even have that sentiment that I wish I could. I just have, there's just no way I can like someone asked me what, what could, or what would. And I was like, you know what I, you know, if we're going to go there, I guess let's just have a fun conversation. You know, Jesus Christ or God himself would have to physically come down in the presence of a crowd so that it wasn't just me experiencing this maybe while I was on mushrooms, but like me, you know, at a chiefs football game and God comes down in the middle of the, <laughs> and everybody experiences it. And, you know, there's something so profound then, you know, then I'd be like, Hmm, okay, well that's interesting. But here's what I know. I can't believe in. I can't believe <laughs> yeah. that only the Christians have it right. And every mm. other good kind human on the earth is destined for hell. That is the most asinine, yeah. ridiculous thing. In fact, if that is the way it's set up, I still don't want anything to do with it <laughs> because that, that, that doesn't make yeah. any sense to me that the kind, wonderful, peaceful Buddhist that I know that is like never heard a flea probably always even has good thoughts. They're just a good person that because they don't accept Jesus, they're going to burn in hell forever and ever and ever. No, fuck you. Fuck that whole idea. That's ridiculous. No. I don't want any part of that. That is just ridiculous. And if God is who you say he is or who she says that you think this person, this God is, they'd be just, they'd be fair. <laughs> and mm. that is not fair or just. You're telling me Ted Bundy is in heaven because he accepted Jesus and Anne Frank is in hell? Come on. Yeah, that's no. ridiculous. It's wild. Yeah, it's infuriating. Yeah, no, it is infuriating. Yeah, it should be infuriated. Yeah. Um, no, hey, you realize? So if if a god came down, publicly revealed themselves, okay, where we're all able to observe, humanity observes, it's documented, we can see, our senses are beholding this god you realize two things. One, if that God came down in such a way, that would mean that they're, that, that it's naturally observable. Right. And if it's naturally observable, then it's part of nature. Technically that's how word work words work. And so if this is, if we were to find out, if we were to discover at some point in the future, who knows, maybe at some point in the future, we'll discover a God out there in space. Yeah. But you realize that 
that's actually just an alien. Right. Like, like, right. like, like, like I mean, you know what I mean? Like, yes. If, <laughs> like, if there's some God out there that created all of us and then just like spun us off and is now just like chilling in the cosmos, that's a fucking alien. Right. <laughs> it just means we were created by an alien. That's all that means. <laughs> Drew, oh my God, dude. You and I, are, we're going to be best friends. This is so funny because I literally had someone, uh, we were talking, I said, listen, can we just have free thought, just totally free thought? Yeah, I was like, yeah. you know, it's entirely possible that, you know, I believe that Jesus actually is a, I'm kind of with Bart Ehrman that he, you know, he really existed. He was a rabbi and a teacher and all that. Sure. Um, so I said, you know, it's entirely possible that Jesus was an alien. <laughs> you know, if we end up finding that there's another alien race that did come to earth roughly 2000 years ago, like it would make sense. Like you would think, like if that happened, like, you know, my, my analogy of the coming down in the middle of the chief stadium, like that would be an alien encounter. You know what I mean? Like that would just <laughs> be amazing. like, wow. So yeah, that's just funny that you even say that because, uh, I have, I have thought that many, many times that, you know, who knows, you know, like I said, that's why I'm agnostic. I don't know what else yeah, is out yeah. there. I just don't. All I know is what I've experienced and how I've experienced. And there's just certain things I know that I can't do the backflips to try to make sense of it, yeah. you know, and, and yeah, man, I, and Christians, I was bad at this, but it's like when I encounter now that I've walked away from it, you know, it's like when you're around drunk people, I've been drunk before. Uh, but when you're not drunk and you're seeing drunk people, it's always like, huh, that's fascinating. <laughs> right. So it's kind of how yeah. I feel like now yeah. that I'm out amongst, I'm not in that Christian world anymore. When I encounter a Christian and they say certain things, you know, just because it's their worldview, it's just fat. Like for example, I, I, on this podcast, I have a lot of conversations about dating and love and other yeah. wild shit and relationships and stuff. You know this, but uh, so in preparation for an upcoming podcast, I was watching different relationship videos mm. and I was, you know, and you can't do that without coming across the Christian couple that, you know, have a channel and they're talking <laughs> about marriage. Right. Sure. Yeah, and yeah. oh my God, Drew, this couple said today, we're going to talk about a really taboo topic amongst married couples. We're going to oh, talk no. about oral oh, no. sex. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> like what the fuck dude that's not taboo like you know anyway but they went drew here's the kicker though i'll send you the video when we're done here they started talking and the wife says she goes well in the book of solomon you know there's quite anything in the marriage bed between a man and a woman is totally acceptable by god you know solomon is our example of one man and one woman and she just goes on and i stopped the video Wait, one man one woman. yeah listen Wait, i know i literally <laughs> Wait, i stopped the video and i was like what the fuck this woman clearly has not read the book of solomon solomon has 700 women living in and you know i'm like oh my yeah. god how in god's name you know of course See, they did think, say it was okay to have oral a sex lot of that stuff a lot of that stuff it's just they don't even realize they're saying it no it's just those are the talking points one man one woman is a talking point right, right? so they just throw it in if you stopped her, she'd be like, oh, well, yeah, I know that I know that he had more than one woman, but clearly uh, 
clearly the spirit of the message that God wants us to take away is one man, one woman, because that's what the story really focuses on, even though, yeah, he's a total whore. (laughs) And he was the wisest, he was the wisest man. And he was the wisest of them all. Oh my God. Yeah, I find that it's, 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 I couldn't even hardly get through the video. I was just, I was screaming at the video. You know, I'm just like, oh, My, you know, you know, the one advantage of having spent four years in seminary and, you know, my entire life in the church, like, and I'm sure you as well, I know the Bible, yeah. <laughs> you know, I've, yeah. I've read it many times, cover to cover. There's not a scripture in the Bible that I've not read or studied or whatever. And yeah. I'm not, I don't yeah. say that, ego, you know, with pride or like arrogance, know, but, it's just a fact. So sure you, you yeah. are based on your training and your experience, you are an expert in the Bible. Right. You are an expert in the Bible, period. Yeah. And so Christians will try and downplay that or, you know, uh, delegitimize that. Well, but you don't believe anymore, so therefore your opinion doesn't matter. No, you are an expert in that. Does If they read and study another religious text for their 10,000 hours, yeah. They would still say they're an expert in it. Right. They would, even though they don't believe in it. They'd be like, well, here's missionary Bob Jones so-and-so. And by the way, he's also an expert in the Quran. Well, hold on. Does he believe in it? Does he believe it's real? Well, no, he doesn't believe it's true, but he's done his study. Right. Well, same right. thing here then, bitch. Yeah, same thing that's here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> same thing here, bitch. I'm still an expert on it, even though I know right. <laughs> that it's not true. <laughs> Yeah, gosh, it's it's yeah, it's been such a such a wonderful journey and like I said, now that I'm on the other side of it, I do see some of the ridiculous um and I don't mean that the people are ridiculous, but just their that how they can try to make sense of something just like her. Yeah. Just yeah. she's trying to give an example from scripture about one man, one woman in a monogamous relationship where they're committed <laughs> through marriage. Yeah that it's okay to have oral sex. And I'm just like, <laughs> oh well, my know. Lord. And Solomon, uh, the concubine, do you think he was married to all 700? No. So, and it just, you know, none of it made sense, but in her mind, it was making total sense. Yeah. I, and, and, you know, you just stand there and it just makes my head tilt to one side and I start blinking real fast and start getting a tick. I'm like, what is only, happening? Not only is it, not a monogamous set of monogamous relationships, but it's also, you know, so it's, it's not polyamory. It's polygamy plus polygamy plus with all the concubines and everything. Right. But also too, how many people had, had the freedom to make an autonomous decision there? How many of those women, how many of those concubines are there because they chose it and have the choice to continue staying or to leave. No, they didn't have that choice. Right. So you want to hold this Sex up as, as the peak of, of God's uh, vision for what's ideal and what's perfect and what's part of his, his plan. Um, I mean, there's no consent. There's no autonomy. Right. It's just an absolute disaster. You yeah. know, Oh, it's horrible. But, yeah. yeah. So, uh, a couple more questions for you. Yeah, By the way, yeah, yeah. man, this has been so great. I, I hope that maybe we can talk this again. Has been fun. Um, yeah, absolutely. Because yeah, I just there's so much we can talk about. And plus, when I finish uh, the book, I'm sure that that's going to. Ra- I've been highlighting and underlining and making marks in it. 
the the connection because you mentioned this in the book also that the connection i mean if you're an evangelical christian you have to be a republican like there's just <laughs> you know and, and in fact the, the how i remember it feeling uh was like republican was the christian party it was the party that jesus would have been a part of and i find again that us and them you know uh, we're right they're wrong mentality to be so toxic for culture and for relationships and especially over the last few years how polarizing mm, how pull mm. and, and and i'll be honest how because i'm down the middle i don't associate with the republicans and i don't associate with the democrats you ask okay. me one question and i would lean right and be like yeah i have a fucking gun and i think i should be able to have a fucking gun and then you ask me the next question i'm like no it's a woman's right to choose it so you know and then, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, and I think minimum wage should be high enough to be a living wage. And so it's like, I, you just go down the line and I'm going to maybe lean right one time and then left the next time. So I'm really more, I don't know what you call that more just free thinking moderate, I guess, but I, I just don't associate with either one. And I especially don't associate with the far left. I'll be honest. I think the far left is wacko. And I think the far right oh. is wacko. And I'm just like, dear Lord, you know, I, I lost a lot of good friends through the fucking pandemic and the vaccines and the mask wearing and the social distancing and that whole discussion. It was just a clusterfuck. And, and then, you know, Christians, evangelicals supporting Trump. And I'm just like, oh. what the fuck has happened to the world? <laughs> so do you know where, I mean, do you, do you know where that comes from? Like why, how did that ever happen where the religious right or the religious, the evangelical group got attached to the Republican party? Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, that's a great question. And, but as you look at political history, as well as religious history over the last few, you don't have to look very far back. Um, I mean, look at late 70s onward. Uh, I mean, it was all a very calculated series of moves and priorities and strategies by the GOP in order to gain, consolidate power. Um, and so you'll see this, for instance, I mean, you look at surveys pre in, in the mid 70s in support of uh, abortion rights and reproductive rights and abortion by and large of course i mean you have christianity just like any religion is going to be varied so you'll have there's no there there's not a single issue where all christians agree on it not a single one okay right not even on the existence of god because there's christian atheists out there right or atheistic christians right so on literally nothing do all christians agree right um so we can't stereotype too much but the majority opinion in the 70s amongst Christians, even conservative Christians, Bible-believing Christians, was that abortion was perfectly acceptable medical practice. Um, it wasn't until the late 70s and then edging into the 80s where the, where the religious right or the GOP themselves, before they were the religious right, where they're saying, listen, how can we find greater power? Well, let's do, let's do this. Let's start painting abortion 
as a religious issue because it was a it was not a religious issue before let's start painting it as a religious issue and let's start using that together with other issues like like you know uh, uh whether or not gays have the existence or the right to exist and you know different these two things let's start painting these as a um, religious issue that Republicans are in support of. Interesting. Because if we if we start painting it as a religious issue, then that is going to automatically the 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 conservative Christians, those who are not conservative economically, but are conservative theologically, they will be like, oh well, geez, well I guess if God's pro life and pro life means this. Well, then I guess we need to fall in line and start believing this as well. Or, oh, wow, I didn't realize the Bible taught that. Or, oh, wow, I didn't realize that's how God felt. Well, if God feels this way, and if it's the Republicans who are put, fighting for legislation to act, enact God's will, then I guess we need to shift from Democratic farmers, which in Minnesota— we have the the Democratic Party in, in Minnesota is called the the uh, the DFL, the Democratic Farmer Laborers Party. So yeah. farming and labor, right? You think of you know in the South, right? Southern Democrats back in the day, right? Where where, where um, those who are conservatives, those who are not living high on the hog, just good regular religious folk, everyday folk are left leaning Democrats. Now, all of a sudden, we're realizing that God's anti-abortion, and that's what the Republicans are. Well, geez, you know what? We, we don't, we're, we, we think that, you know, the rich should have to pay their fair share, et cetera, et cetera. We're pro, we're farmers, we're pro tax incentives and tax assistance for the farmers. We're pro, uh, you know, the the Fed being pro-union because we need unions in order to survive. We're pro all these things, but all of a sudden now we're being told that the only way to be a good Christian is to become a Republican. Well, oh shit. Well, obviously God's more important than whether or not I've got a union fighting for my fair wage. Obviously God's more important than having a good educational system. Obviously God's more important than... um all of these other, you know, public assistance programs that, you know, with, you know, beginning with social security and Medicare and the great society, and all these incredible social wellness programs that were developed. Well, wow, obviously God's more important than all of that. So I guess we need to become Republican now. And that is the start of the religious right. Interesting. Or at least that's a big like I mean it's it's more just like anything. It's more layered. Sure, than sure, that. sure. But that you know, and that's speaking in old made, you know, perhaps overly simplistic terms, but but to generalize it with the time that we have, that's a big component of it. Um yeah. there's actually, if you want to dig deeper, there's this great series um on Netflix. It's a it's a docu-series on Netflix called The Family, which takes that, it will shake you to your bones in the systematic approach that how that the powerful religious right took to just take over everything and that's why they have all the power they do today even though they're in the minority in terms of the view of life amongst americans 
they're in the minority, but they have um, in many ways the majority power. And they're set they and they are set up to only keep gaining more. Wow. It's horrifying. So the family is the name of the Netflix docuseries. You gotta check it out. Yeah, I will definitely check that out. I, I love some of the document I watched the the Hillsong one. I also watched the um the Jar- Jerry Falwell uh and his son that was just up to some weird shenanigans, the the leader yeah. of the Liberty University and and just all that. I mean, it, it's, it's just, it's been so fascinating, um, just to, to witness all of that. And yeah, th- there's a lot to talk about there and I don't we can't, I, I don't have time to get into it. I know you don't either. Sure. I've got to yeah, run yeah. to another appointment, but listen, Drew, I can't even tell you how much I appreciate this conversation. Uh, clearly we're going to have to do this again when I have more time and you have some more time. Uh, maybe we should have started an hour earlier today, <laughs> but I'll, I'll finish your book this week and then I'll uh, shoot you a text and find a, a time that we can connect again. Before I let you go, uh, tell our listeners uh, how they can find you, follow you, engage in your life in some way if you're if you're out there. Yeah, absolutely. So I am on all of the socials and everything, at least for the most part, though that said, I don't do that much with them. Um, probably maybe things to look for is I do a fair amount of speaking. Um, I would love to see folks at Baja Con, which is in Ontario, a little less than two months from now. Um, I'll be speaking there. Great lineup of folks. So seriously, get your Baja Con tickets. Uh, it's an atheist and humanist conference up there. Um, I'll be speaking. I'm not going to be. Spe- I don't have anything currently on the lineup for speaking in Kansas City. Sorry about that. Uh, hey, well, maybe Jimmy. we can get that but, changed. Um, <laughs> I'll be. I'll be speaking in Chicago here uh, in a few weeks. Um, actually, after Baja Khan, I'm going to also be heading out back towards Denver here in a few weeks, and then speaking in Minneapolis, where I where I am. My my talks just real quick. What I talk on tends to be uh, go in three different directions. One of them um, is, of course the type of thing that we're talking about here today. And so centers on my story and, you know, talking about uh, trends with amongst deconverted religious leaders and um, what that looks like in their transition uh, and all those kinds of things. Second big thing, and this is probably what I end up speaking on the most these days, these years is humanism and specifically developing what I call a more embodied humanism. That's what the next book, book number three, is actually going to be about that we're working on right now. Um, by the way, book number one, if anybody's interested, the first book I wrote is called Your Next Level Now, which is more of a quick, fun, uh, quick read uh, on you know transitioning and building your next life. Um, but yeah, look at values alignment, things along that line. How do we live out and build a lifestyle that reflects what's important to us? Uh, rather than simply, you know, going with the flow or or whatnot. And then the third and final thing that my talks and media stuff and things like that tends to focus on is kind of along the line of what I think most of your podcast is about, Timmy, uh, which is on uh, sex and relationships uh, and specifically looking at sex and relationships and dating through a post-faith lens. What does that look like as we're finding our autonomy? Ooh, maybe that should you know, be our maybe, next conversation. And maybe being you know, single. For, for me, I wasn't a single adult for the first time in my life until I was 33 years old. That was the first time I was ever a single adult was at 33, yeah. just trying to figure this whole thing out. You know, so And specifically also then along with that, intersecting with this whole idea of gender and in an era of toxic masculinity, how do we find 
how do we find and explore and discover uh, a high quality masculinity and what does that look like? And so, so those are, that's kind of the third rail there is sex and gender and relationships and dating all post faith. So lots of fun stuff. So yeah, check me out, look me up, come to the talks. Yeah, that would We'd be love to hear from folks. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Drew. And I, I really appreciate this conversation. And yeah, that might be our next conversation. If you'd be open to it, I'd love to talk yeah, uh, about that because that was quite a transition for me. I, I spent, you know, 25 years married and, yeah. uh, you know, then becoming single for the first time, not as a Christian. Um, it was actually a wonderful experience. I just, you know, I lived honestly and openly and just did whatever I wanted to do and whoever was willing, willing to do it with me. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, I just, I really had a wonderful time. And, and, and in fact, the, one of the conversations I have, cause the, the humanism part's very fascinating to me because people will ask me, they say, man, you know, I, I see your life and you, it's like you still live by the principles of Christianity. And I guess what they're saying is that, you know, that I'm, I'm, I live you're, a good, you're a good guy. Yeah. I'm a good guy. I live <laughs> yeah. morally and I'm honest and I'm fair and you know, I'm kind. And you know, it's like, I didn't become a total retro reprobate. And it's like, that's the whole misconception. We didn't even get into that, but yeah. the, the whole misconception yeah. of when you walk away from faith, it's, it's because you want to live a life of sin or you're whatever. And it's like, no, in fact, the truth be told, I live a moral, a more moral life now, a more honest, more authentic life now mm, than mm. I, than I lived as a Christian, you know, like it, it yeah. just, it just is, you know? Um, so, and I realize not every Christian has my story. Um, but it, it's just a, it's just a fact, you know, it's something that can't, you can't argue with me about it. I know how my life is and how my life's living out and playing out. And I'm just a much better human now yeah and so people absolutely. ask where does my desire to live right come from you know like they think all morality comes from god and i said well one it's because i love myself and i love <laughs> and i love other humans and so i don't differentiate if they're religious or not religious or if they're republican or democrat or what none of that right, stuff right. matters to me and and yeah. it's just like no i want to be kind and caring and charitable and you know, that's just, I want to be that as a human and because I'm not, do, there's no, I'm not living in a way that's going to get some eternal reward or eternal. I'm not scared of hell. Cause I don't believe there is a hell. Um, mm -hmm. in fact, I would mm -hmm. say for sure there isn't one and, you know, and nor right. is there a heaven in that sense to me, it's all, this is what we get. I don't know what's after this, nor does anyone, but it's like, yeah. I, I don't know what's after this. There seems to be absolutely zero evidence of anything other than this. This is the one chance we get. So, you know, I just want to be a good dude, uh, and, and do good stuff. So anyway, that humanism part is a, is a big part. And to me, it's, it's a great motivator to do right and be right. Not some fear of some God that's going to punish me, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I, like yeah, to me, that absolutely. just does not seem like a motivator. I just like, oh, no, that's no crazy. Not at all. Yeah. Not in the least. Oh, Drew, thank you so much again uh, for this time, for this conversation, and uh, let's stay in touch, and uh, maybe we can meet at the Great Mall. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good, Timmy. All right, hey, have a good one, brother. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, Absolutely. you bet. Peace. 